But today, the theme of today is about seeing God's glory. This is about God's glory today. And we're going to be back into John chapter 11. But uh, before we go there, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Okay? Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. What a privilege, what an honor, what a burden at the same time. Lord, may your word be preached with power and conviction by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we see your glory more, Jesus, through the preaching of your word. What you did in Bethany, what you did with Lazarus, Lord, calling him and charging him out of the grave. So, Father God, I just thank you for this church family, Lord, your church family. May we see your glory more. May we love your son more, G- uh, more today through the preaching of your word. So, God, I just thank you for this word that you have for us through John chapter 11. Thank you, Father. Spirit of God, allow us to have hearts to hear and to see what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be at John 11, verse 37. Context here as we just look through our Bibles and, or our devices. Jesus enters into Bethany. Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Some of his best friends are there. And during a funeral, Lazarus, his good friend's in the tomb. He's been dead for four days now. Mary and Martha are crying. They're weeping. There's other people that's come from Jerusalem and other places to weep and mourn. So Jesus steps into this arena and he shows his compassion. He's weeping himself because he cares for Mary and Martha, because he cares for you and me. So you see his humanness, you see his personality showing up in this situation. But today, we're going to see Jesus pull back his skin, his human skin, and display his divine power as he raises Lazarus from the dead. So let's rise. We'll be at a John chapter 11, verse 37 to 46. Okay, so this is God's word. Jesus is in Bethany now with his disciples. But some of them said, could not this man, talking about Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind man in Jerusalem, have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within him, intense anger, intense rage because of the effects of sin on his creation, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Verse 39. Jesus said, remove the stone, Martha. The sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Verse 45, the response. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. The other response, verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We bless you, Lord. What a treasure that you've given us in the book of John. Thank you for the Bible, Lord. 
May it scream to us. May your words jump off the pages so we see your son more clearly, your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So just some things to kind of help us along this sermon to kind of track a little bit. We're going to have three major points, and we're going to have an edifying, super edifying testimony given from Brother Albert Chong. But these are the three main points. Point number one, Lazarus' condition in the grave. What was he like? Point number two, Jesus' divine power. Okay, then we'll have a testimony by Brother Albert. And then point number three, the reason for the miracle. Okay, so let's go to point number one, Lazarus' condition. I'm just going to take time to read 38 and 39 again, verse 38 and 39. So Jesus came, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. So being in Israel, I was able to see these, these tombs. And they're literal caves, and some dug out by man, or just some natural caves. And this is a picture that I took uh, along the side of a road. There's a cave here, and there's a stone that you roll in front of it. And so this, this would show me that Lazarus was fairly wealthy and, and, and a prominent person. Not everyone, there's only a limited amount of caves or, or tombs to bury people in. And these tombs were just temporary processing centers for dead bodies. All right, so what they would do is lay these bodies in niches inside the cave or shelves and it's allow nature to take its course. In other words, to let the body decompose and rot to what's all that's left are the bones. All right, that's the first burial. And then the second burial, someone would go back in there, roll open the stone and collect the bones into an ossuary or a box and that would be the final resting place. So this is kind of the, the, the burial customs of the time. And verse 39 says this, Jesus said, remove the stone. Okay, Martha understood the times, all right? 2,000 years ago, I believe death and the effects of death were more obvious. They're able to see dead bodies, dead animals, and see the, what happens to these bodies days later. But she said, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. And I like how one of the preachers I was listening to how you, how you quoted the new, uh, not the new Kings, but the King James Version. He said, that it says, there will be, a, he will be stinketh, the Bible says in the King James Version. All right? And then she was right. All right? Because she goes, he, for he has been dead four days. So Lazarus has been dead four days. What is his condition like? And I just, as I'm thinking about dead bodies, I'm drawn back to my times after my undergrad days at USC. And... I was actually studying to become a physical therapist. And by God's grace, they allowed me to be in, uh, accepted to the USC doctorate program of physical therapy after my undergrad day. So we went on this tour to check out the facilities and, you know, at the medical campus off of Alcazar and, and off the 10. And then uh, we, one of the parts of the tour was the cadaver lab. All right, the cadaver lab, is, I think you went downstairs and it was like a very cold refrigerated room. And there's a bunch of tables, and on these tables laid dead bodies, these cadavers. And it was, of course, as a physical therapist, you've got to know the anatomy of the human body if you're going to help someone uh, improve their, their physical condition. And so there were sheets over these bodies, and there was this chemical smell, and obviously to preserve the bodies. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get through this, you know? I, I mean, do I, am I really up for this? Evidently not, because I went into coaching right after that. <laughs> 
But that just showed me how we just live in an absolute sterile environment. We're not used to seeing dead bodies. We don't want to see dead bodies. All right? And if we do see a dead body, it's at the hospital or it's at a, a, a funeral home or, or at a funeral. Or someone's in a casket and th- their body has been treated. We live in a completely sterile environment. In Jerusalem or Israel 2,000 years ago, there was no embalming. And then when they took care of the dead bodies, they would just loosely wrap them up in cloths and put some spices on them. That was the extent of it. This is not like Egypt where they did this intense embalming process. These bodies were basically put into these caves and allowed nature to take its course. Now, since I'm not very familiar with what happens to dead bodies after four days, I did some studies here. So what would happen to Lazarus's body or any human body in four days' time? So I went on Explore Forensics, and there's a whole science to death and decaying of the body, and uh, these, these experts are able to track how long a body's been dead by certain stages that the body naturally goes through. So these are natural, predetermined timetable that the body goes through. Okay, there's an actual science. And after 36 hours, the body begins to decompose into rot. I mean, the head... The neck, the shoulders, the abdomen, they start taking this greenish color, right? The tone of the color starts greenish. The body begins to bloat like a balloon almost because there's bacteria within the body. Gases are being formed, and your body gets to bloat. Eyeballs start bulging out. Tongue starts protruding, right? This is Lazarus right now. The skin begins to blister, just kind of like the blisters that you get in your feet if you're wearing a brand new pair of shoes. The skin just begins to blister like this, all right? And then eventually, the skin gets marbled. Okay, what does that mean? Marbled meaning the blood vessels in our body begins to denature and decompose, and you're able to see all over the exposed skin just blood vessels showing up, a bunch of lines and network of vessels showing up on your body, all right? And eventually, the body becomes blackish and green, and fluids start getting emitted out of your body. I mean, this is after 36 hours. Lazarus has been in the grave for four days, all right? And, and, and uh, gases start being emitted, all right? The body's just, just pumping out these gases. And the internal organs are starting to melt down, starting with the intestine, because that's where a lot of the bacteria is. And then it goes to the kidneys, the liver, Okay, the lungs, the heart, eventually to the brain. So things just start to melt. And it, they said that in this site, it says that the hard, hotter it is, it accelerates the process. So in, being, being in Israel, that's not a cold place now. It's warm, just like Southern California. So there's no slowing down of the process here. And not to mention the flies that are laying eggs into the body, into the maggots and the larvae that's uh, coming out of the, this body. And not to mention any rodents that are in there that's feeding on the flesh. All right, so this is Lazarus right now. With an exclamation point, four days later. This is past 36 hours. So imagine this condition. No wonder Martha said he stinketh by now, you know. There's no no kidding. Now, the reason why you may be asking, like, Rocky, why are you taking us through this? I thought this is like a G-rated sermon. You know, why are you taking this to this horror show, you know? There's a reason. There's a reason. 
Just as I've shared that we live in a sterile world, like I, I'm not familiar. When I, when I read the text initially on the surface, Lazarus was raised from the grave after four days. Oh, he came back to life. I just, I, I kind of almost picture someone popping out of the coffin and he's back to life. You know, maybe his, his pale color becomes more normal and that's the extent of it. But this is 2,000 years ago in the cave. I mean, do we realize the magnitude of what happens here? Lazarus, when he was raised in the grave, he wasn't some zombie that just walked out. He came, he came out normal. Wow, every cell of his body was new. Every organ was regenerated. His nervous system was put back together. His blood vest circulatory system was back. I mean, he was back. God did a, Jesus did a creative miracle just like that by commanding it happening. And so for when I understand the depths of what Jesus did, it helps me to see the glory even more. Okay, and so point number two, Jesus is, is displays this divine power. Verse 43, when he said these things, he cried out. This is like a, like a war cry. I mean, this is not like a subtle, calm, hey, Lazarus, come forward. This is a war cry. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus is displaying his authority over even death. Come forth now. Lazarus. And some commentators, I don't know how serious they are, but some commentators said he had to say Lazarus because if he just said, come forth, all the dead bodies of the world would have showed up, you know? <laughs> Perhaps, right? God, but the Lord knows what he's doing. That's what he said. Lazarus, the Bible makes it, Lazarus, comma, come forth, okay? We know exactly who we're talking about. And so uh, this is where it happens. And the man who had died, Lazarus, four days in that condition, boop, 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 gets brand new stuff, brand new body parts. Everything's new. His mind is new. His mind is restored. He came forth bound hand and foot. He has loosely wrapped up with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around his, with, a, with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about a creative miracle. Jesus is showing us, taking off the veil and saying, I'm God. Who else could do such a thing but this? And this is an incredible miracle it, it, written in the scriptures, and we could absolutely trust that this is what happened. You could absolutely see God's glory out of the pages of scripture. But we've been graced in our church family to have an incre another incredible miracle happen with Brother Albert Chong. Okay, and Brother Albert has an incredible testimony, and I'm, we're going to ask him to share testimony. And as he's coming up, we're going to show a picture of his family. His wife is Christy. They have three beautiful daughters, Eliana, uh, Kayla, and Tessa. And Brother Albert has a phenomenal testimony to give God glory. Let's, let's welcome him up as he comes up. Thank you, Pastor Rocky, and thank you, church, for giving me the opportunity to uh, speak to you today about God's goodness. It truly is a blessing to be able to stand and speak before you're here today. This is an appropriate time to share about my experience, especially because I've been called Lazarus at least seven times now. <laughs> this is my story. On January 13th of this year, I went to sleep a pretty healthy 43-year-old. I mean, I could have stood to lose a few pounds, and my cholesterol is a little bit high at 190-ish or so. But I used to play in a 35 and over Evergreen Basketball League, and I think I see some teammates who can vouch that I did sweat and run a little bit. Little did I know, my life would soon change forever. At 2 a.m., suddenly I woke up with this extreme chest pressure. 
what felt like an elephant sitting on my chest. I'd never felt this before, but I had a bad feeling this, this might be a heart attack. So I went downstairs, I chewed some aspirin, but it didn't help. So at about 2.30 a.m., I woke up my wife, Christy, Christy to uh, take me to the ER. Within 30 minutes of arriving, I went into cardiac arrest, I lost consciousness, and I became pulseless. The ER team spent 24 minutes doing CPR, chest compressions, giving me medications, shocking me about 12 times. They finally got my heart back in a normal rhythm, and the cardiologist put a stent in my LAD uh, artery in my heart, the Widowmaker artery. So in a nutshell, my heart stopped beating for over 20 minutes, and I would have died if I was not in the ER already. As the cardiologist was finishing up, I began having some seizure-like activities or twitching, and they put me into a coma to let my brain rest. They feared that this could be a symptom of lack of oxygen during those 24 minutes in the ER. I finally woke up 10 days later, but with some signs of likely brain damage. The prognosis during this whole time was all over the place. It was anywhere from definitely at least some brain damage to a vegetative state or a vegetable. But by God's grace, those symptoms went away within a few days such that the whole medical team, and especially the neurologist, was amazed. I'm happy to report that I regained full uh, mental and cognitive function. My dexterity is back, my coordination, my balance, it's all back. So during this whole time, praise God. Praise God for protecting the essential portions of who I am. My brain, my personality, my memories, my faith, my soul. Now, Christy says she could have lived without my humor coming back, but <laughs> it's a package deal. Now, when I was asked to give my testimony, it was, it was actually very difficult for me. It's been hard for me to process what happened. It's, it's still surreal. I'm the main character of this story, but I was essentially a prop on the set. Everybody around me went through so much spiritually. I went through a lot physically, but not so much spiritually. I don't even know if I could say I experienced pain or suffering. Christy and my poor family, they bore the brunt of the uncertainty, the agony, wondering what's going to happen. Am I going to come back? I, on the other hand, took a 10-day nap. <laughs> I woke up. My chest pressure was gone. Man, my heart felt great. So just to try to figure out what exactly happened to me, I went on Christie's uh, blog on CaringBridge, and I read all the entries, and I kept thinking, man, this guy Albert, he's in bad shape. So a lot of what I know about these events are secondhand. But first, let me just answer a couple common questions I've been asked. I did not see any light or feel any warmth. I didn't see any pearly gates. I didn't have an out-of-body experience. Now, I did have a vision of King James leading his people to the promised land. But that was LeBron James. <laughs> and unfortunately, it looks like he wasn't able to make it to the promised land either this year. 
I tell you, weird dreams happen when you're coming out of a coma. Since I've woken up, I've thought a lot about Lazarus. He and his family were close with Jesus. The thought occurred to me, what if Lazarus had previously asked him, you know, Jesus, my sister Martha, she's always going to be remembered for uh, being a good cook, organizer, planner. My sister Mary, always remembered for anointing your feet with oil. What about me? What's my purpose? How can I serve you, Jesus? What if Jesus had told him, Lazarus, I have a special calling for you. You're going to die. Oh, um, could I rephrase the question, maybe? But honestly, how would Lazarus have reacted? How would I have reacted? How would you react to those words? Am I willing to obey any calling from Jesus, even to the point of death? Another question, why did Jesus let Lazarus die for those four days when he could have healed him with a single word? Jesus didn't even have to be physically present. We know that he healed the centurion's servant and the royal official's son just with the power of his words, remotely. God orchestrated the events in Bethany so that his son Jesus would get all the glory. We see in the very next chapter that Lazarus, uh, after he was raised back to life, quote, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus, end quote. People who saw Lazarus were reminded of Jesus to the point that the Pharisees wanted to kill him. And that's how I want people to see me, just like with Lazarus. I want to be a walking, talking testimony of Christ's power without being on the Pharisee hit list, hopefully. Now, we probably don't spend enough time thinking about death for obvious reasons. It's uncomfortable. It's unsettling. It's too far away. That night, even as Christy was driving me to the ER, the thought of death never even crossed my mind. She asked me later if I had been ready to meet my maker that night. I had to think about it, and I answered honestly, no. But since then, the incident has made me consider death a lot more. There are some basic truths that we cannot avoid. We're all going to die. Remember, Lazarus himself eventually died. The Bible contains numerous passages about death. King Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.2, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 4.16-18, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'm not back at work yet, so I'm around the house a lot. I've been noticing my house is showing signs of age, it's breaking down, and sadly after this incident, I would have to say the same about my own physical body. Our, our, our outer bodies, which are seen, 
are slowly decaying. But our inner souls, which are not seen, those are eternal. Another quote, every man dies, not every man really lives. Actually, that last one's not from the Bible. That was Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart, <laughs> quoting William Wallace. But you know what? I've always liked that line. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. If you think about it, it's very profound. By God's grace, I did not die that January night. He caused all things to work together for good in my particular situation. Romans 8.28 is used commonly in these situations. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We tend to focus on the first part, especially the word good. But I want to focus on the second part, specifically the word purpose. God's purpose is his own glory. What should my life look like in light of God's glory and God's purpose? Specifically, what purpose did God have for me going through this event? All of us should be constantly asking God for what, about our purpose, whether or not we have a near-death experience. I don't want to live my life only to find out that I was who Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7, 21, when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. So I can be doing many good things, but it may not be God's purpose for me. So I'm still on the journey of finding God's specific purpose for me, so that I can do the will of my Father in heaven. It's up to God how much he reveals to me. I don't think I'm meant to know it all, because I'm also called to, we live by, we walk by faith, not by sight. So taken together leads me to questions like these. Why wasn't I ready to meet my maker that night? What are my eyes seeing, the temporal or the eternal? Am I really living? How do I prepare for eternity? If you know the SATs are coming up, you prepare for them. If you have a job interview coming up, you better prepare for it. So if you know eternity is coming up, what should you do? You better prepare for it. Based on what the Bible is telling me, I can best prepare by focusing my temporal life, however many days God gives me here on earth, on those things that truly matter, which are those things that will go on into eternity. There are only two. Number one, word of God. Number two, people, or specifically, people's souls. Now, I really do love the Word of God. It is rich. It's vibrant. There's so much wisdom and truth contained within it. The same God, the same God who created the universe, this God, our God, used 40 authors supernaturally, from a fisherman to a Pharisee, from a fig farmer to a physician, to write 66 books over a span of 1,500 years to express everything about human life that God wants us to know in this current age. I've read the same parable at different points in my life. 
It's spoken, me different, spoken to me differently each time. It truly is a living word. This is life's handbook, written by our creator himself. So number one, word of God. Love it. But number two, people's souls. I realized I don't love people as much. People are complicated. People are unpredictable. People are messy. And so I realized I don't love my neighbor as myself. I definitely don't love my enemies. I don't even love my friends that well. I don't live my, uh, love my extended family as much as I should. Hitting closer to home, I don't love my kids the way I should. I don't love my wife as much as Jesus loves the church, even though I know it in my head. Why do I love so little? Am I the one in Luke 7:47? Described as, he who is forgiven little, loves little. This is the crux of nine, uh, Luke 9.23. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is what it takes to follow Jesus. This denying of myself, my selfishness, my sinful tendencies. I know this, but somehow... The knowledge in my head is not getting down to my heart. But God wants not just my brain, but my heart too. And interestingly, these are the two organs that he struck. It's not easy. Now, Pastor Rocky knows this. Fourth and goal from the half-yard line is arguably the hardest distance to travel in football. But you know what? I think the 18 inches from my head to my heart, that's probably harder to travel. Through this, you all have taught me what, uh, and shown me what true Christian love and community is like. I woke up from the coma to find that so many of you, as well as fellow believers around the globe, have been praying and pleading to God on my behalf. The outpouring of emails and cards of the 24-hour prayer signups, of meal trains, of visiting us in a hospital. That's unbelievable. That was a very clear, tangible demonstration from the body of Christ of how to love people. Christie's blog and all the comments, wow, it was like having a memorial service and being eulogized, luckily without having to die. This is Christian love in action. It's so amazing and so humbling to be at the epicenter of this. Even those of you who don't know us that well, you showed amazing concern and compassion towards us. So a warm thank you from the bottom of my now well-functioning left ventricle. <laughs> and yet God was not obligated to bring me back, even with the fervent, faithful prayer of the saints. God's will is sovereign. It's not a numbers game. It's not a petition with a minimum number of signatures required. This is one of the tensions in the Bible, God's sovereignty versus our responsibility. But when you think about it, a lot of what God calls us to do is for our own benefit. An individual person's prayers are meant to increase that specific person's faith. So when you heard the news, you mourned with us, you worried with us, you were shocked with us. You prayed with us. 
and you rejoiced with us. So to those who took the journey with us, I hope your faith was renewed and ratcheted up to the next level. It's ironic because I myself missed out on this. I basically slept through the whole thing. So some parting thoughts going forward with the second chance at life. I want to make it count. I don't have the benefit of having gone through this faith journey like so many of you did. I will continue to reflect upon this event and ask God to reveal his purpose, his specific purpose for me. I want to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. One thing for sure, God brought me back with my memories intact, especially my medical knowledge, to know how much of a miracle this was, not just to come back at all, but to come back without any perceivable brain damage. One last thought here. One common purpose of this life is for our souls to gain attributes and shed imperfections before going on into eternity. I want to shed imperfections that I struggle with, like complaining. I want to gain attributes that I desire, like compassion. Shed lukewarmness and gain love. Shed hubris, gain humility. When I get to eternity, I will go with the memories and lessons of my time on earth and whatever characteristics have been forever attached to my soul. This will serve to let me remember that how great a measure God doled out to save a wretched sinner like me. So not only do I want to live well, I want to finish well. I want to die well too. Thank you. Let's pray for Albert and his family. Thanks, brother. Father, I thank you for Brother Albert. I thank you for uh, the new perspective, deeper perspective you've given him. Father God, I pray that he will continue growing his love for your word and for you and for his family and others. God, I pray that you use him mightily to minister your word in this church family, Lord, so that others will love you more, deepen their knowledge of you, to see your glory at a deeper level so that we will love you more, become more like you. So, Father God, I thank you for Albert. Thank you that you've allowed him to be up here. It's in such an answered prayer to be up here with his own feet, testifying with his own lips what you've done for him and his family, and really for our whole church family. So thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, brother. Thank you. Hmm. Brother Albert, um, you see you got all your medical knowledge. Do you still got that jumper still? (laughs) <laughs> but Brother Albert is, uh, is really a witness to what the Lord has done, and uh, it's, it was really neat to see his branch come alongside his family, his, his bride, his girls, and just really care for them at many levels. And uh, that was really neat to see, and it's such an answered prayer to see him up here. And uh, our, some of our staff were praying for this, and wow, here it is today, March 31st. Last point here, we're just going to dovetail off what Albert talked about. The reason for the miracle, chapter 11, verse 4 says, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. It is for God's glory. It is clearly for God's glory. Albert talked about how, what would you do if you have a second chance? Are we so consumed, church family, that we exist for God's glory to make our Lord look good? All right, whatever we're going through to make him look good, can we make our life count? And this is where, this is the challenge here. 
And as we get to see our brother go through a second chance, we've all been given second chances, really. And so what is this application about? You know, we see God, Jesus, call out Lazarus out of the tomb. We see the depths of word. Lazarus was at physically, and then bam, a whole brand new body comes up. And to those of us who are walking closely with the Chongs, we could see how far the Lord brought him. I mean, the fact that he's standing here in his right mind and speaking and, and showing humor, it's a miracle. It's amazing. That, does that not give God more glory when we understand the depths of what, what's happened? But I really want to just apply the truths that we talked about today. All right, let's, let's, first I want to talk about to the believer here, to those of us who are in Christ, to those of us who consider ourselves followers and lovers of Jesus Christ. Do you see God's glory more clearly today through the preaching of his word, first of all, and then through testimony from Albert Chong? In the scriptures in Bethany, Jesus was weeping for Mary and Martha and really all of us. We see this clearly that he is, he is a personal God. There's a personality to him. He cares for you and me. That's massive to know that my God cares for me. He understands and he cares for me. But today we really focus in on Jesus' divine power, how Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. I mean, if we're a Christian, you and I are out of the cave. We're, our souls are not rotting in the cave. Our souls are out, we're alive, and God's done an even greater miracle than what he did with Lazarus within us. He renewed our souls, okay? But verse 44, I just want to draw our attention here to the end of verse 44, chapter 11. What does Jesus command to be done to Lazarus? Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You see that? How many of us are still bound by our death clothes? How many of us are still wrapped up in our old way of life, our old sinful way, which keeps us from running and living to God's glory, to the maximum? How many of us are still entangled in sin of lust, of pride, of worrying about image of other people, or are stuck watching the porn at night? How many of us are in that situation right now? What God calls us to take these things off and to run to God and to live unto God's glory. We are called to repent. Repenting gives God glory. Because think about it. Repenting, you're agreeing that I'm, I'm, in a, I, I'm stuck in a bad situation. Say, Lord, but I believe that you could pull me out of this situation. I believe you could unbind me from where this old death clothes has been on me. I don't have to live this way. I'm a living person. You're not Lazarus anymore. We live for God's glory. In order to live to, unto the fullest of his glory, we need to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles, the Bible says. So I exhort church family to really consider this. Where are we bound up by old ways? Secondly, I want to talk to those who came to church today. Perhaps you're a guest. Perhaps a relative or friend asked you to come, and we're so thankful you came. You belong here. This is exactly the place where you belong. But do you realize that your souls are rotting away in that cave just like Lazarus' dead body was? You're absolutely reeking right now. You stinketh. You're, you're, you're falling apart right now. And is Jesus calling you to come forth today, right now? I'm brought back to this. This happened this week. 
I'm so grateful. You know, I was with my wife, Sharla. We were uh, just having lunch on our date, and uh, we were at the San Anita Food Court, San Anita Mall Food Court. And, you know, we got done eating, and I walked out, and I saw this man just kind of walking around. And I introduced myself, and, hey, I'm Rocky. How you doing? What's your name? He said, my name is James. He looked lost. He looked like he was in a fog, just kind of roaming. I say, what's going on? He goes, I'm going through some hard times. This is a very tender moment. You know, I'm talking to a complete stranger. We're talking, and my mind and my heart is like, okay, Lord, when can I talk about your son, Jesus Christ, to this man? How can I sp- preach the gospel to him? Give me the right timing. I say, look, James, I want to tell you about the greatest news that you could ever hear about. His name is Jesus Christ. I said, James, do you realize this? that who Jesus is, have you heard of him? He says, I've heard of him. Are you a Christian? He goes, no. He goes, I believe in many things. I said, James, I looked him in the eye and said, look, this is compassion for him. I mean, you know, you could tell there's a lot going on. This is a tender man. I invited him out to church. I said, James, I want to give you the bad news. Do you realize that you and me, all of us have sinned and offended God? And someday we're all going to be judged as sinners in a place called hell. Do you realize this? That's horrible news, right? He said, yes. So let me give you the greatest news, the best news that you ever hear. Jesus is God. He became a man, and he lived the perfect life, and God the Father poured out all of his holy wrath on Jesus. He paid the debt for sinners. So if you trust in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become no longer his enemy, but become his son and his friend. Do you realize this? You could have this for free right now. I said, what do you think? He goes, I'll think about it. I said, I gave him my information. Yeah, let me know what, what, what comes. But please, I tell you, really consider this. Friend, if you're here today the same as James, you're in the same condition in that cave right now as Lazarus was, your soul. And you, if you desire Jesus to do the greatest miracle of all, to regenerate your soul to so a living soul, as, as Brother Albert talked about, the word of God and souls live forever. Your soul will live forever. One of two addresses, apart from God in a place called torment and hell or with hev- in him with heaven forever. Really consider what I'm talking to you about. Do you see God's glory as I preach the gospel to you? Do you see the greatness of who Jesus is? If you do, you're absolutely brand new. Tell somebody today who you, who you came with that you want to follow Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Church family, let's pray. Let's pray. I'm going to offer up a prayer for us, for sanctification. And now I'm going to also offer a prayer for those who need to come to Christ today. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I thank you for Brother Albert's testimony of your goodness in his life. Father God, I also pray for the saints in here, for those of us who know that you are Lord, those of us who trust in you, Jesus, as the Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray, Lord, that the truth that you care for us and you actually cry for us and that by, at the same time you have the power to raise dead people from the grave would just absolutely marinate in our minds and our hearts and this will transform the way we look at ourselves and we look at life. I pray these two truths will absolutely be cemented in our hearts, that you love us, you care for us, and you have the power of life. Father God, I pray for those right now who need to come to know you. I pray the message of the gospel of your son, the good news of your son Jesus, will prick 
be pricked into their hearts by the power of your spirit, and they will come to you and come right now. As you call out, Lazarus, come forth, that they will be called right now to come forth into your kingdom. So, Father God, I thank you. What a privilege it is to preach your word and preach your son. In Jesus' name, amen.